Tonight's reading is from Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to them, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Now, Strictly Come Dancing will be hitting our, our screens again really soon, won't it? And I want you to imagine this. Imagine this year, you get the call. Uh, they want you to be on Strictly. Like, ah, I've got to dance in front of millions of people. But then you remember, you're given a professional dance partner. Uh, someone who is your example. Uh, someone who's going to teach you and show you the way. Someone who's been there, done that and got the T-shirt. Or perhaps we should say been there, done that and got the sequined vest. Um, your professional is going to be your example. Uh, but this year, the producer said they're going to change the rules slightly. Um, so actually, even though you're dancing as a couple, uh, only one person's going to be judged. And it's not you. It's your professional. Uh, this year, uh, they're going to be the ones, the mark by which you're judged, the standard by which you're judged. So this year, in Strictly, uh, your professional dance partner is both your example and your victor. Now, I'm afraid if I burst any bubbles, that's probably uh, a bit of fiction, isn't it? Uh, you're probably not going to get the call. Um, but today, tonight, in Luke 4, that's exactly what we see. Uh, we see Jesus being both our example and our victor. So before we begin, or as we begin, shall I say, let's pray to the Lord. Father, thank you for this word in Luke 4. Thank you that it uh, shows us uh, more of the Lord Jesus, shows us who he is. It shows us an example of how to uh, dance uh, His your way in your world, uh, but also shows us the great victor that Jesus is. Amen. If you heard last week's, uh, then you'd have heard Alex uh, tell us and speak to us about that great moment of Jesus' baptism. Uh, when heaven is opened uh, and the voice comes down and says, this is my son whom I love. What an affirmation. What a moment. And we sort of think, well, maybe Jesus must be ready to go. He's ready to set go. Well, off he goes into ministry now. But, but one more thing has to happen. And this is where we see verse one. Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. 
He's just had the, the curtain of heaven drawn back. But now the lid of hell is going to be opened. As he's going to see the world, the flesh and the devil. But before we uh, dive into this passage, um, let's just remember two things. Uh, the first is that Jesus really was a man, a fully man. Uh, now, there's an old uh, heresy. Now, heresy just means wrong belief called docetism. Uh, again, don't worry about the words, but it, it means that Jesus only appeared to be a man. He wasn't really fully man. He just appeared to be a man. But no. Uh, as the author to Hebrews tells us in 2, verse 17, no, he was fully in every respect he was man. In every respect he was man. He even limited his knowledge for a time to inhabit uh, humanity. But he was a man without sin. He was a man without sin. But the second thing we must remember is that Jesus acts as a, a representative for his people. It's no coincidence that this uh, passage comes straight, or rather, should we say, it's no coincidence that, that Luke puts in a genealogy between those two occurrences. A, a genealogy that takes us all the way back to Adam, the son of God. The son of God so-called because he was the, the first man. Uh, we're going to be set up as a contrast between Adam and Jesus. Uh, Adam failed. He succumbed to temptation. What about Jesus, the son of God? But then secondly, um, the language, the temptations that Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days uh, is reminding us of the people of Israel uh, as they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, we're going to see how is Israel, God's representative people, well, we, we know they failed, didn't we? But here, Jesus, God's representative, what will happen to him? Jesus stands as a representative. So let's dive into these temptations and let's remember our, our opening strictly uh, illustration. Jesus is both our example and our victor. Uh, but this passage is going to help us to see an example. It's going to help us to understand what does it mean to dance God's way in a world uh, where temptation comes by. So here's our, our first temptation. Jesus is there. He's been there for 40 days. He is completely vanished. He's had no food. And the devil comes by and offers him, uh, or, or rather says to him, turn a stone into some bread. Now, I got this stone, I found it on the beach once because I thought it quite looked like a, a bread roll. That my children have drawn on it. But um, it looked like both, a stone and a bread roll. And the devil says, look, I know you're hungry. I know you're God. You've heard that. Why don't I just turn this? into some bread and just to really add the punch he starts off with those seven words if if you really are the son of god if you really are the son of god just do it it's easy no one will see and that first taste will be amazing won't it? so what's going on here i mean often sometimes we we might see something like a chocolate cake and say, oh, that's so tempting isn't it it's it's sinfully tempting I couldn't resist. I, I gave in to temptation. Is that what's happening here? Is, is Jesus being asked to, to eat something he shouldn't? Is he being asked to go against a diet or something? Well, of course not. It's much bigger than that, isn't it? No, Jesus is being asked to do something outside the will of God. 
he's saying, look, no, he's being asked or tempted to to not trust the Lord, uh, which is why he, he then quotes Deuteronomy. Uh, he, and he says, well, no, man shall not live by bread alone. I'm reading really that shorthand for the rest of the verse. Uh, man shall not live by bread alone, but from every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Do you think of God's word is enough? Uh, the Lord could have given him food to eat, but Jesus knew and needed to know at this particular moment that every word comes from the mouth of the Lord. And he needs to know deep down in, in his gut that God's word was enough. That God was enough. The devil was tempting him to not trust God's word. But Jesus stood up. Here's our, our second temptation. The devil takes him up to, to a high mountain and offers him the whole world. He offers him power and authority. But just as an aside, there's something that doesn't quite sound right, does it? Verse 6, he says, it has been given to me. It's like, has it? Has the devil really been offered all this power and authority? Well, on the one hand, he's not lying. It, in Ephesians 2.22, that the devil is described as a prince. A prince of the power of the air. But what he doesn't say is that he does have this authority. He does have it at the moment, but it, it is not an eternal authority. It is not an infinite authority. But he does have an authority. So what's the temptation? It's for Jesus could have been given power, honour, glory now without the cross. Power, honour and glory now without the cross. Immediate satisfaction, no suffering. Immediate satisfaction, no suffering. I mean, the temptation is so real. Glory now, no suffering later. But Jesus again, the new Adam, the new Israel, uh, stands firm. And again, he, he quotes that small section of Deuteronomy and says, no, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Jesus is saying, look, you may try to act like God, but you're not God. You may try to offer the things of God, but you are not God. But on to our third temptation. Uh, then again, uh, he comes back with those stinging seven words. If you are the son of God, if you are the son of God. But this time he adds something extra. He said, look, you've been quoting scripture. Let me quote some scripture at you. Let me play your own game. What a cunning ploy. And he takes the promise of Psalm 91 that says that the Lord will protect and look after his anointed. In a way of trying to force Jesus' hand. He says, look, you, you know these words are true. You know they're true. So if you jump from this high point, the temple, the Lord will save you. You know that's true. Just show everyone else. It's a very effective combination of the first two temptations. He's saying, look, um, 
just use your power outside of God's word to gain glory for yourself now. What a, a very, such an effective temptation. But again, Jesus stands firm. He says, quoting Deuteronomy again, he says, look, no, do not put the Lord your God to the test. He's resolute. He's our example. So what does it uh, mean for Jesus to, to set us an example? What can we learn from him? Well, the first thing to note, actually, is not so much we learn from him, but to remember about him. It's to remember that he, he really is fully man. That he really does understand you. See, Jesus is not like some um, barking pea coach shouting on the sidelines saying, look, you, I did it, you can do it. No, Jesus knows what it's like. He, he knows what it's like to have that battle between listening to the Lord and listening to self. He knows what it's like. He's somebody who sympathises in every way. Someone who comes alongside. Jesus really did go through those temptations. He can set this example. But here's a truth we can learn from Jesus. The only way to defeat falsehood is with words of truth. The only way to defeat falsehood is words of truth. We need to be active listeners to the Lord. Maybe uh, you remember that uh, game you may have played as a child or some sort of uh, team bonding exercise. You know, the one where, where one person is, is blindfolded, uh, they're set a, a little distance away, they've got a little obstacle course to go through, and there's one person set aside who's going to shout instructions at them. So good so far. But there's, there's ten other people who can shout at them as well. And they can say whatever they like, you know, go left, go right, eat baked beans, whatever you want. There's no way, no way that person in the blindfold is going to know what to do. Uh, the voices are going to be just drowned out. But imagine now, the voices are still shouting, but the person giving instructions is able to speak right into their ear. Right by them. So they can hear with crystal clarity. You see, we need to be those that are active listeners. The voices will always be there. The world, the flesh and the devil will always be shouting at us. Uh, you could go to the, the deepest, darkest part of Peru where there's nobody around. And those voices will still be there. So we need a, a, an external word. The Lord Jesus quoted the scriptures. He had the external word of the Lord to speak against the lies of the devil. And we need that same external word. We need to be those that are actively listening to Jesus in his word. Uh, now, it would be very easy to, 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 to jump up and say, well, therefore, we must have quiet times. We must uh, listen at church. We must listen at small groups. And all that is true. Because if, if we're not there, if we're not listening, well, how on earth can we hear? So we've got to do those things. But we also remember, though, it's possible to be at all of those things. 
to hear Jesus but never really listen. The quest, the test is not so much how often we listen, although clearly if we're not listening often, that's not be a good thing. But rather, how well are we listening? Active listening means hearing, absorbing, obeying, pondering, living. So are we active listeners to Jesus in the Bible? Do we actively do those things? Do we actively have him whispering in our ear so we can drown out and and not listen to the voices around? We need to be active listeners who place the truth of God's word at the centre. But then secondly, um, like Jesus, we need to see the, the, the bigger picture. I mean, how easy would it have been for Jesus to to take that quick fix, to take the glory now rather than the suffering and glory later? So easy, because if he just saw the moment, the immediate then why bother with the, what's going ahead? What? Why? No, Jesus saw the bigger picture. He saw what was going on. And we do too. It can be so easy, can't it, for Christians today, for us, for you and for me, to take the immediate, to, to just see that what's going on now, the, the short term. No, we need to see the bigger picture. So with our, our, our money, it can be so easy, can't it? We, we, we can say we want to use it now uh, and we're very focused on now and how we can use it and where we need to put it rather than asking how the Lord have me use it. What's the bigger picture? Or, or the way that we relate to other people. Maybe um, there might be a, a boyfriend, girlfriend who aren't married and they might be tempted to, to have sex now rather than wait what's ahead. But Jesus knew what was ahead was not simply later. It was bigger, better and more, more beautiful. Uh, and so with that picture there, actually, it, wait, we have to wait now. But what is to come is bigger, better and more beautiful. We need the bigger picture. Jesus is our example. Jesus is the one we have to follow. Jesus is the example. He's our professional dance partner. He's the one we're to follow. Now, it'd be very easy to, to finish the sermon there as kind of a, a rousing example. Follow Jesus, walk in his steps, do that. And that is a good thing. That is what, part of the reasons we have the temptations here. Jesus is an example for us. But what a week's time if we forget that? What if in a week's time we we realise that we haven't followed that example as we should. Well, that's to remember that Jesus isn't simply our example. He's also our victor. He's our example and our victor. Remember we said at the beginning that Jesus was a, a representative. But what is a representative? Well, we'll imagine this picture. We've had Strictly, so let's have some football. Um, Harry Kane, England captain. Penalty taker. England are playing Germany. Um, it could be anybody, but let's say Germany. Um, the score's one all. Um, because of uh, away goals, they're going to lose. 
Um, it's the 95th minute and Ian get a penalty. Last kick of the game scenario. Harry Kane steps forward. Manuel Neuer is in goal. If he scores, England win. If he doesn't, England lose. Harry Kane is England's representative of the team, firstly, but also of the whole country. Just remember that his words of Euro 96 of Gareth Southgate. Gareth Southgate, the whole of England is with you. He failed. What about Harry? If he scores, he wins, they win, we win. Now, of course, that story's fictional. Um, you can imagine, depending on your allegiances, what happened. Of course, he would score, though. Um, but that's football. Uh, here, in Luke 4, it's, it's real life. Jesus is our victor. He's the one who's our, our, our righteousness, our standards, our victor before God, who gains us that victory. See, the temptations are about showing us how to dance in life, but they're more than that, that they struck at the very heart of the gospel. Because if Jesus had failed like Adam or Israel, then the whole gospel would come crumbling down. We'd still be in darkness and despair. Jesus would be no different to Adam or Israel or anyone else. But he didn't. He stood firm. Jesus is our representative and our true champion. Jesus looked the devil in the eye and said, I will love God and follow him. I will do anything to bring my people home. He looked him in the eye then, and no doubt, as verse 13 tells us, and the devil came back at another opportune time, which surely must have been the garden, when he sweat blood and he said, no, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus is the one who looked the devil in the eye and said, I will follow the Lord. I will bring my people home. Jesus stood up and won and so so will we. Uh, yes, we must learn to dance this way, to follow Jesus' example. But when the devil comes and says, if you really are a child of God, why have you done that? Uh, we can look the devil in the eye and say, I know I'm a sinner, but I am beloved of Jesus. He is my victor. He is my righteousness. He is what makes me. He's the reason I win. He's defeated you. He's defeated sin. And he's defeated death. And I am his beloved. Jesus is my your example and victor. And all of God's people said, all glory be to Christ our King. Let's pray as we close. Loving Father, we thank you that Jesus is our example and our victor. Thank you that he he shows us the way to dance your way in your world. But more than that, he is the one who brings us home, who has ultimately defeated sin, death and all things and under his feet. Help us to know him and to love him and to follow him more this day. Amen.